Good afternoon. My name is Clarissa Pickens and I will be your moderator for this afternoon's class. Welcome to another lecture given by the members of the Southfield, Michigan class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denomination, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh, our Elohim, and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We hold classes in the United States, Canada, and certain other foreign countries. The Southfield, Michigan class was established in 1997. At this time, I would like to introduce to you the Dean, Dr. Marvin Lewis, and the President, Dr. Edward Yule. In this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in an original Hebrew text. The true name of the Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and are not names. The apostle Paul filled with the Holy Spirit tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means that Elohim is the title that our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part in a good dictionary or encyclopedia will prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any letters or characters in their alphabet that will produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of the Heavenly Father and His Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, He is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, Everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. 
Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form can only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Yahshua, the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now, there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question we should ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Savior during the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of the Holy Name Bible. Also at this school, we teach by a divine pattern of the universe. It is called a divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, holy place, and court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The constitutional objectives and or aims of the Institute are as follows. First, to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without the distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Fifth, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eighth, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, save the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And tenth, to inherit eternal life now, in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah, with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace, and our slogan is speak the truth. And at this time, we'll have a prayer by Dr. Sharon Lewis. 
Our scripture lesson this afternoon will be 1 John, the third chapter, and that will be read by Dr. Felicia Hamilton. I would like to say good afternoon to the class and let us bow our hearts and minds in a moment of prayer to Yahweh, our Father, our Savior. We thank you, Yahweh, through Yahshua the Messiah for calling us into the glorious liberty of your gospel. We thank you for allowing us to remain and be steadfast in this gospel. We know that you called us, Father, and without your calling, we also know that we could not be able to understand and realize the glorious mysteries that you have revealed to us. So we thank you. We thank you so earnestly for just calling us to be able to hear your precious gospel. We ask that you keep us, Father, keep us faithful, keep us enduring, keep us long-lasting in your spirit. We ask you to protect us from the evil one, the satanic spirit in this terrible world that we're in, the terrible times that we are now in, which you have set them to be so at the close of this age. Protect us, Father. Be a hedge around each and every last one of us. Allow us to remain, to remain steadfast in this glorious gospel, to keep us, Father. We ask all of these things in your dear son's name, Yahshua the Messiah. Let us all say hallelujah. I will be, I would like to say good afternoon to everyone. I will be reading 1 John, the third chapter. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of Yahweh. Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the children of Yahweh, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth against the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth have not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the adversary, for the adversary sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of Yahweh was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the adversary. Whosoever is born of Yahweh does not practice sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of Yahweh. In this, the children of Yahweh are manifest, and the children of the adversary, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of Yahweh. Neither he that have loveth, his not, loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and whosoever slew he him, 
because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the Savior's love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whosoever has this world's goods and seeketh his brother have, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of Yahweh in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall as sure as our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, Yahweh is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we then have we confidence toward Yahweh. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we kept his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we shall believe on the name of his son, Yahshua the Messiah, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. I have read first chapter, first John, the third chapter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'd like to say good afternoon to the class once again and thank everyone for joining us. Our scripture readers this afternoon will be Drs. Lauren Lewis and Dr. April Lewis. And for our first speaker, I'm happy to call on from the, the Dean of the Lansing, Michigan class, Dr. Kerry Welsh. Well, greetings in Yashua. I hope my volume is good. If you need me to turn it up, just let me know. Um, so I was listening and reading along in, in first john the third chapter and of course this is uh, a chapter where he just talks about sin and love and how the uh, love of yashua and the love of the brethren uh, means that someone has passed from death unto life meaning received the holy spirit and since that spirit or seed remains in us that that person cannot sin um, it's important to understand that you are unable to sin with the holy spirit which uh, also means that people probably should uh, focus on to some extent and understand that sin you know what sin is and what sin is not because a lot of times people uh, think of sin as doing something, saying something that is just not nice, so to speak, or, or that is uh, undesirable. And that's not the same thing as sin. Uh, you can have the Holy Spirit 
and you can not sin, but at the same time, that does not mean that we have uh, become perfect or whole and complete in ourself. We are going to continue to learn of Yahweh in ages to come. And if we knew it all now, and if we just had it all together now perfectly, there would be nothing to learn, nothing to develop in the ages to come. So um, it's important to understand what sin is, what it isn't, because sin is very, very, very serious. It is a matter of life and death. Now, let me be specific. Sin that I'm referring to is sinning against Yahweh, uh, which means to offend Yahweh. And even in this chapter, it talks about what sin is as far as a good definition of the word sin. Um, if you wouldn't mind let's please go back to the uh, first verse and read through the fourth verse. That's first John three and one. Behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of Yahweh. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the children of Yahweh, and it doth not appear, I'm sorry, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that's kind of important. I'll get to the next verse in a minute, but, um, it, you know, it says, we know that, uh, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Right now, we only see things that are physical with our eyes, and we only see and experience the physical or the spiritual things in part. Uh, there's a scripture where it talks about seeing through a glass darkly but then we will see face to face, which is an expression of kind of like saying, seeing in a mirror, but uh, in a dim likeness. Uh, we, we see spiritual things now, but that doesn't mean our view, our experience of those spiritual things is clear and complete. And we want as clear and complete and correct an image in our mind of Yahshua as can be. Um, you know, if we have a really distorted image of who Yahshua is, that would be a false image of him. And what do you call a false image? It's an idol. And mm -hmm. we, we do not want uh, to make an idol out of Yahshua. And someone says, how can you make an idol out of Yahshua? Well, an example is Jesus. The mm -hmm. whole image that is brought to people's mind by the word Jesus. Uh, now, remember, this Jesus is supposedly Yahshua, according to those that would use that. We realize that now we understand that the false name brings about a false image 
and Jesus is a false name and the whole image that people have of Jesus, who he was, what he wants of us, that, that, is, that is false. And so that's really making an idol out of him. It's substituting uh, something false for Yahshua, who is genuinely the way, the truth, and the life. But that's kind of a side point to the main point here. Um, so read the next verse, please, or just continue if you would. Mm -hmm. Yes, third verse. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Mm -hmm. Whosoever committeth, committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Okay, there is a definition of sin. It's a working definition of sinning against Yahweh, okay? because he's the lawgiver, and to transgress his law is to disobey him. That offends him. And so transgressing his commandment, okay, we're not talking about the, uh, the law of the spirit, which causes everything to operate. There is nothing, even Satan, the, who is as disobedient as possible. He, he is completely disobedient or opposed to Yahshua, but he still has to operate by the same law of spirit which causes everything in the universe to operate. So uh, he's definitely a transgressor of Yahshua's commandment. But uh, when it talks about sin here is the transgression of the law, it's referring to the fact that sin means to disobey Yahweh's commandment or his, his word, his spoken word. And that is what sin is. And any time that somebody does that, goes against Yahweh's word, transgresses his commandment, that is unrighteousness. That is not right. And all unrighteousness is sin. But the definition of sin would be transgression of Yahweh's commandment or his law. And I guess I want to be a little more specific about that too. It would be transgressing his commandment to the individual that is doing the transgressing because whatever he orders or requires or commands of someone that is an obligation for that individual it is not necessarily an obligation for everybody else case in point the jews under the Old Testament, had a whole series of commandments from Yahweh and ordinances. And if they disobeyed one, they ended up being in transgression of the entire body of law. They were under the penalty of that law. And the result, the penalty of that is death. And I'm kind of getting ahead of a lot of things. We could get scriptures and details on this. But I, I, I hope most everybody listening is familiar with what I'm referring to enough so that this makes sense without having a whole lot of questions um, about it or, or lack of understanding of it. Um, but 
sin would be disobeying Yahweh as far as anything he commands of us. The commandments of Yahweh that he has now of us are not the commandments that he had of Israel under the Old Testament. And that's important to understand. Many people make the mistake of reading the commandments of Yahweh in the Old Testament that he gave to the Jews and thinking that that is their obligation today to do the things that Yahweh said to do under the Old Testament. And Dr. Kinley was just so insistent about the fact that that was a carnal commandment for carnal minds and that Yahshua fulfilled, finished, and took out of the way that law. It says in the Bible, he blotted out the handwriting of those carnal ordinances and took it out of the way. So you have to ask yourself then, what is the law that applies today to you and to me? Okay. Um, and I'm going to make just a couple of other points before I get to that, if, you, if it's all right. Yahshua took away sin of two types. First, he took away sin that was inherited from Adam. You know, people have this idea that they are born in sin or conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity because that's in the Bible. Uh, and and, and, and uh, uh, the psalmist David had said that about himself. And he was. He uh, was conceived in sin or about his son Solomon also. He was conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity. But that does not mean that we are conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity because Yahshua came to take away the sin of the entire world. Um, and if we want, I can go back and go through some scriptures to show that. But let's just mark that point in our mind. There's two types of sin that people had to be concerned about. One was the sin inherited from Adam, which passed upon all men for all sinned up until Yahshua the Messiah took that sin away. Yahshua also fulfilled all the requirements of the other type of commandment. Remember, sin is the transgression of Yahweh's law or commandment. And that was the commandments that he gave to Israel under the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments, the, in, well, they enumerated as 603 other ordinances or orders, uh, requirements. And again, those only applied to Israel. But Yahshua took care of those also. So he fulfilled those and took them out of the way for Israel because they could not do it for themselves. Every, every single one of them had a law that if there had been a law given that could have given life, then truly righteousness would have been by that law. But Yahshua, but they couldn't do it. 
So they just, the harder they tried, the more they condemned themselves. That was why it was called the law of sin and death. It was not a law of righteousness and life. And so Yahshua took the Old Testament law away for Israel. And he took the, which by the way, that again, that law, transgressing that law would have been sin for those that he gave it to. And he also took away the sin of Adam, okay, uh, as being passed down upon all men. He took the responsibility for both of those types of sin on himself and therefore relieved the sinners of the responsibility for those things, uh, again, provided that the sinners accepted or received the uh, atonement, which Yahshua provided. So anyway, okay. So I just want to mention those were the two types of sin that were there and Yahshua took them all away. So then you have to ask yourself, what is sin today? Okay. And this gets to the heart of what John is writing about there in that third chapter. Okay. Um, and the, the really the short answer to what sin is today would be failure to love, believe, and know Yahweh, and failure to love the brethren. Okay, and he focuses there specifically on love. Now, let me just mention this. The reason it's threefold to love, believe, and know has to do with the fact that it's your whole being. When you know something in your mind, uh, and that's an expression. People say, well, yeah, I know this in my mind. Then you talk about people say, yeah, yeah, I, I really believe it in my heart, you know, or believe it in my bones, so to speak. Okay, in other words, they're, uh, and, and then they love. Okay, so the love carries out or acts in accordance with that which someone knows and believes. Okay. You cannot love Yahweh if you don't know Yahweh. And you can't love the brethren without really knowing that they are brethren with the same spirit of Yahshua in them that's in you. What you're loving when you love the brethren is the spirit of Yahshua that you recognize in them. So it's still really loving Yahweh or loving Yahshua, but it's loving Yahshua in them or loving their soul for the potential of having Yahshua in them. Okay. So now let me go uh, and focus on that a little bit about loving uh, and that being the essence of this whole thing. And that's what he writes about there in first John, the third chapter. Let me go back and get two scriptures in the old Testament, Deuteronomy six verses four and five. That's the first one. And then if you would get Leviticus 19 verse 18. 
that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Mm-hmm. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our Elohim is one Elohim. Mm-hmm. And thou shalt love Yahweh thy Elohim with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Okay, this scripture is just, it, it's considered, uh, there, there's a term for it, but it's, it's like the, one of the most central points of Yahweh's commandment in all of the scriptures, all the Bible. Thou shalt love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, in all your might. And he starts out by saying, here, O Israel, Yahweh our Elohim is, it says one Elohim there, or the Holy Name Bible says Yahweh a unity. Okay? And we could talk about what the unity of the spirit really and truly means uh, but uh, he says thou shalt love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart all your soul and all your might okay all right now please get Leviticus 19 verse 18 that's Leviticus 19 and 18 mm-hmm. thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am Yahweh. Okay. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am Yahweh. Okay. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, that's in the law. Deuteronomy and Leviticus are both in the law. In the testimony, Joshua himself confirms the things that are there in the law. Get Joshua 22, verse 5, please. It's Joshua 22 and 5. But take diligent heed to the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, charged you to love Yahweh, your Elohim, and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay. Um, and, and, and there's other scriptures even in the Old Testament we could go to. Uh, since we're doing it, get Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It's, it's brief. Yes, Ecclesiastes, is that 12 and 13? Yes, it is. Okay. 12 and 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Mm-hmm. Fear Yahweh and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Okay, fear Yahweh, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And fearing Yahweh, by the way, uh, leads to loving Yahweh. There's also scriptures where it talks about the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. But the knowledge of the Holy One or the Holy Spirit is understanding. Now, when you understand the Holy Spirit, which is Yahweh's Spirit, when you really understand the Holy Spirit in yourself and in others, then you will automatically love Yahweh yourself and others, and in a very specific way, which I'll kind of get to in a minute. But he says, this is the whole duty of man. Now, 
Um, there's a couple of places where Yahshua talks about this in a manner that fulfills. Might as well get those scriptures. Matthew 7, verse 12. I'm just going to hit a couple in Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 12 is the first one. That's Matthew 7 and 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that man should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And that's something. <laughs> this sums up the essence of the law and the prophets. And he says, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. And people call this the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay. Um, and he says, this is the law and the prophets. Okay. All right. Now, go to Matthew 22, um, verse 37 through 40. And I'll just make a quick statement about this. Yahshua has been challenged uh, as to what the great commandment in the law is. And, uh, you know, <laughs> some of these people were challenging Yahshua and they were trying to set a trap for him. You know, a lot of them would argue about, well, you know, obviously it's that uh, the first of the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you, you know, you probably should know and read what all the Ten Commandments are, right? But he did not, when he answered this, when they asked him, you know, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? He didn't list any of the Ten Commandments, not one of them. Here's what he said. Please read 37 through 40. Mm -hmm. Matthew 22 and 37. Yahshua said unto him, Thou shalt love Yahweh thy Elohim with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So again, Again, love, love of who? Of Yahweh and love, in this case, he says, of your neighbor, which means that word neighbor means brother. It's the same thing. And brother here is not limited to a, uh, what do you call him? A first sibling or something like that, as we would say today, which is a common use of the idea of brother. Uh, any of the, uh, relatives were considered brethren or neighbors because of the way Yahweh had distributed the land for his kingdom and he had them live next to each other. Um, so your neighbor was your brother. It was the land was distributed by tribes which were based on the, the, the parentage, the, the 12 patriarchs or fathers of each uh, of the entire tribe. And then the land was subdivided to the children that came from each of those. And so the neighbor was the brother, but it wasn't necessarily a first sibling. It could be a very, very extended family member. Anyway, the point here is that Yahshua said that the entire law and the prophets 
hanged on or hinged on this principle of love, loving Yahweh and loving the neighbor, okay, which was their brother. Um, now, when he got around to the very, very, very last day that he, Yahshua, spent with his apostles before he was crucified, he did some major important things in terms of what he was fulfilling and in terms of preparing them for what would come after he died, was buried and raised. And the very things that he said were extremely important in terms of preparing for the New Testament. Remember, everything that we've read about so far was under the Old Testament. And I mean, all this that you read about what Yahshua said and did, unless, you know, in case somebody doesn't fully understand that, Yahshua did not live under the New Testament, not in that body that was crucified. The New Testament did not come about until 53 days after he was crucified. So all of his birth, life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension occurred under the Old Testament or before the New Testament came about because Yahweh identified what the New Testament was. In, in, in the New Testament, he said, was not a book that was written with pen and ink. So the New Testament isn't even in the Bible. The New Testament or New Covenant was actually the agreement between Yahweh and man that Yahshua established by placing his Holy Spirit into man as a permanent gift, which started for the first time on the day of Pentecost following Yahshua's crucifixion by 53 days. That was the New Testament, the New Covenant. The New Testament or New Covenant is drawn out of the Old Testament or Old Covenant, but it is not like the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And so Yahshua is going to make preparation for this New Testament and New Covenant with his apostles, and he does it the very night before he is crucified uh, by doing and saying certain things with them. And I'm going to read uh, or have you read, if you would, please, two scriptures that are from that night. Uh, go to John 13, 34, please. And then if you'd go to John 15, 12 through 17. That's John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you. Now, Yahshua is saying right here that he's given them a new commandment. Now, folks, this new commandment will stand in place of the old commandment because it's a new commandment for a new testament. It's not going to contradict the commandments under the old testament. It's going to be drawn out from them. But the way that he is commanding them is different. There, and I'll, I'll show you what I mean. There is a difference between this one, uh, 
and the one that was in place up until that time, which you already read in two cases where Yahshua talked about that loving your neighbor as yourself, loving Yahweh and loving your neighbor as yourself, that was the way it was under the Old Testament. And Yahshua reiterated that. He magnified the law and, and made it righteous. He verified it, vindicated it uh, by saying what he said we read earlier, that uh, you love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, and might love your neighbors yourself on these two, hang all the law and the prophets. But now he is saying, I'm going to give you a new one. And this new one is going to be drawn out from, but take the place of the old one. Just like the entire law under the New Testament is spiritual rather than carnal or natural. It's not carnal ordinances. It's the law of the spirit. Now the carnal ordinances reflected or manifested the same principles that the law of the spirit really has in it, but they were done or manifested in a physical and carnal way, which applied to the Jews under the Old Testament, but will not and cannot apply under the New Testament. New conditions, new commandment, same principles, but different manifestation, and it will be spiritual under the New Testament, not physical. So Yahshua says, a new commandment I give unto you. What is that? Please read it. That ye love one another as I have loved you. Wait a minute. Hold on. Mm -hmm. He says this is a new commandment. He says you love one another as I have loved you. Doesn't that, that sounds an awful like an awful lot like the one that was just quoted back there in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, mm -hmm. where he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there is a difference here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here he's saying, love one another, not necessarily just your neighbor, but you love one another, all the brethren, in other words, as I have loved you as Yahshua loved you. And mm -hmm. in the third uh, chapter of John's first epistle that we read earlier uh, at, in the beginning of class, he talks about this. Uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes just to read the exact nature of it because John understood, he was made to understand the importance of this. You'll find out that actually John writes more about this commandment and this love that Yahshua was talking about than any of the apostles, any of the other apostles. John wrote more about that specific aspect. Um, so anyway, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, not love your neighbor and not as yourself, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the new commandment. Okay, continue. It's not quite mm -hmm. finished. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That you also love one another. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now, that's his commandment that he gives them. And now, remember, under the Old Testament, 
the first of the commandments was to love Yahweh. And then the second being like the first was to love the neighbor. Well, Yahshua gives this new commandment to love one another the way he loved them. But now that has to be done only because they love Yahshua. So go to the 14th chapter, the 15th verse. In other words, this is the motivation behind loving one another. Please read. That's John 14, 15. Mm -hmm. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, if you love Yahshua, he says, then keep my commandments. What did he say that his commandment was? The new one was to love one another as I have loved you. That's what he said to him. So that would be, if you love Yahshua, then you love one another. Okay, that loving one another flows from or results from loving Yahshua. Now, if you really love Yahshua, you're loving the Holy Spirit because that's who Yahshua was. And if Yahshua is in the brethren, if the Holy Spirit is in the brethren and you love the Holy Spirit, then obviously you're going to love the brethren also because it's really Yahshua in them that you are loving. Um, eh, maybe I'll... Uh, Go ahead and go, go down to the 21st to the 23rd verse, that chapter. John 14, 21. Mm -hmm. He that have my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Mm -hmm. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my, of my father. Mm -hmm. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Right. In other words, I put my Holy Spirit in him. Go ahead, please. Judah, not Iscariot, saith unto him, Rabbi, how is it that thou would manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Mm -hmm. Yahshua answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Yeah, we will come unto him. We who? My father and I, that in other words, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, okay, will actually come in as the Holy Spirit into those that love Yahshua and he will dwell in us. Um, I'm going to make a quick comment, just a side note, okay? This is the fulfillment that he's prophesying about when he says, I will do this. My father and I will come into him and make our abode with him. When he's talking about making our abode with him, he's talking about being in them or with them. The word Emmanuel means Elohim with us. Now, this would be Emmanuel under the New Testament. The Holy Spirit being Yahshua dwelling in someone is Emmanuel. That is Elohim dwelling with them or mm -hmm. in them. Right. Now, that was instituted back there really in Exodus 25, verse 8 
and nine. Well, I'm not going to have you read that, but I'm just mentioning this and you can look at this another time. But it's where uh, Yahweh Elohim says to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell among them. So when that tabernacle was made and the glory of Yahweh moved into that tabernacle, that was Elohim dwelling among them. That was Emmanuel. And so when he prophesies using that word Emmanuel, which means Elohim with us, then he's really saying that I will dwell with them. Now, this same John that we're reading from here, and we've read several of these passages, way back in the very first chapter of that long letter that he wrote, the book of John, the, apostle, the uh, gospel according to John, he talks back there uh, uh, about... Um, Emmanuel in the sense that he says that um, uh, the word, he says, and the word was made flesh. Now that's Yahshua being manifest in the flesh. He says the word was made flesh and did what? He dwelt among us. In other words, he dwelt among those apostles, including John that wrote that letter. So he was Emmanuel. He was the fulfillment of that. And of course, even when he was, uh, his birth was announced, it said that his name would be called Yahshua to fulfill the prophecy that he, he, his name would be called Emmanuel. Now, people kind of misunderstand that sometimes and say, well, then he was named Emmanuel. No, no, no. He was named Yahshua, but Yahshua was his name. And his name, Yahshua, was called Emmanuel, meaning this, just said clearly, Yahshua was Elohim with us, or Yahshua was Elohim dwelling with him. Okay. Um, Anyway, that's all kind of a side note to this, but in this scripture that we were just reading here, um, you know, in First John or in John the fifteenth chapter, uh, he, he's talking about that our Father uh, and I will come and make our abode with us. Okay. Uh, anyway, finish up reading where you're at. I kind of want to move on with the the main point that we were talking about. That is. The 24th verse, John 14, 24. Mm -hmm. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Okay, so in other words, obeying me, loving me is keeping my commandments. Not loving me is not keeping my commandments. What is that? That's transgression of his commandment. That would be sin. So really, what Yahshua requires under the New Testament is not a list of carnal ordinances. It's not a list of do's and don'ts of physical behavior. What he requires, what he wants is the love of the brethren, but that takes place because he actually puts his own spirit in 
the brethren in order to love him and love one another as Yahshua did. And uh, we'll find out that there is no greater love than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. In fact, I tell you what, go to the 15th chapter of John. We'll read through this, 12 through 17. And then um, kind of move forward. John 15 and 12. Mm -hmm. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. All right. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Mm -hmm. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Again, it's, it's obeying Yahshua. And what does he require? What is his command? To love one another as Yahshua loved them. Go ahead and read, please. Mm -hmm. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his master doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. Mm -hmm. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit shall remain, that whosoever, whatsoever, excuse right, me, right. you shall ask of my father in my name, he may give it you. Mm-hmm. These things I command you, that you love one another. Okay, good enough. That's adequate for there. I'm just trying to make that point just clear. All right. Um, uh, tell you what, um, real quick, go to Romans. Uh, there's a couple of verses, a few verses here that we can get just to make a couple of points. Seventh chapter, 14th verse, eighth chapter, second verse. That's Romans 7 and 14. Mm -hmm. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. All right, so Paul is writing there about the fact that the law, the real law that is in effect, and he's talking about the law that is now in effect, the law itself is spiritual. Now, the Old Testament law was carnal. It was a carnal law of carnal ordinances for carnal minds. He says, so we know that the law is spiritual, but what? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He says, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And he's talking about the I, he's talking about himself in his condition before he had received the Holy Spirit, okay? So he carnal sold under sin, okay? But Yahshua has freed him from that sin when he came, died on the cross, took the responsibility for all sin upon himself that relieved Paul and everyone else from the sin. And anyone that re receives the Holy Spirit then is no longer a sinner. Go to the eighth chapter, second verse. That's Romans 8 and 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Yahshua the Messiah has made me free from the law of sin and death. All right. So he says the law of the spirit of life in Yahshua the Messiah hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Remember, he said, I am carnal, sold under sin. And he was prior to 
being in Yahshua the Messiah. But then after he is baptized into the Messiah or put on the Messiah or has been baptized with the Holy Spirit or has received the Holy Spirit, okay, it's all the same basic principle. It's all Yahshua being in him. Okay? Once that happens, he says the law of the spirit of life in Yahshua the Messiah, it's not anywhere else. It's only in Yahshua the Messiah that this takes place. Okay? Then that, he said, it has made me free from what? From the law of sin and death. That was the carnal ordinances under the Old Testament. So now he's free from that. But that doesn't mean free to serve himself. He is free to serve Yahshua. And I'm not going to go into all the scriptures where he talks about that and others. But um, you're, you're, you're supposed to be free from Satan to be bound unto Yahshua. Or in other words, you're freed from Satan to be married unto Yahshua. Okay. All right. Now go over to the 13th chapter of the same book, Romans, where Paul is developing this uh, uh, thought about love and the law and fulfillment a little further. 13th chapter of Romans 8 through the 10th verses. That's Romans 13 and 8. Mm -hmm. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Look, it really, uh, it's not any, there's no other obligation that we have except to love one another. And someone says, well, gee, then I don't have to do a darn thing for somebody. No, that is not what it means at all. It means that if you love one another, what automatically results from that love, what manifests from that love, what comes about from that love, if it truly is love, is the genuine care and concern for the well-being of your brethren and the will to act on that, to love one another, how? As Yahshua loved us. What did he do? He gave himself for our life. For he gave himself for us. He sacrificed of himself so that we might live. That kind of love is the love that is not just a passive emotion. It's not an emotion really so much at all as it is a genuine commitment to the well-being of someone. Okay? So he says, oh, man, oh, no man anything but to love one another. And I'll show you that this does not mean just having an emotion about somebody and doing nothing for them. Please continue on. Ninth verse. Uh, just fi you got to finish the eighth verse. Yes, I'm sorry. Eighth verse. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He that loves another has fulfilled the law. And that's the law that is in effect now under the New Testament. Go ahead and read. For this 
thou shalt not commit adultery. All right, I'm going to add one word to it to might help with understanding. For this reason, in other words, the reason that the, you love one another, okay, and for the reason that when that happens, you fulfill the law, for this reason, thou shalt not commit adultery, which, of course, is a commandment under the Old Testament, okay? Mm -hmm. Go ahead and read. Thou shalt not kill. Which really is thou shalt not murder, okay? Mm -hmm. A commandment under the Old Testament. Please read. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. A commandment under the Old Testament. Please read. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not perjure, bear false witness against somebody, okay? This was under the Old Testament. Please read. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. Again, a commandment under the Old Testament. But he's saying that if you love one another, you won't do any of these things against the brethren. Because obviously, if you love someone, you're not going to take their spouse. You're not going to murder them. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to uh, uh, falsely uh, accuse them to get them harmed. You're not going to try to take away what they have because you're jealous of them or covet okay and then he goes on and he says this and please read and if there be any other commandment yeah in other words well if there is another commandment in other words it's not something i have to list as a list of do's and don'ts but if you consider that there was any other commandment go ahead and read it is briefly comprehended in this saying this covers it Mm -hmm. saying this go ahead saying namely thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself that's the way it was written under the old testament go ahead and read love worketh no ill to his neighbor yes therefore love is the fulfilling of the law love worketh no ill to his neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law and this is under the New Testament, okay? And how is that love supposed to be? It is really supposed to be as Yahshua loved us. No greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, okay? All right, now go over to the uh, fifth chapter of Galatians, if you would, please. Mm -hmm. uh, thir 13th and 14th verse, and I think you can skip down to the 18th verse for the okay. sake of time here. Okay, Galatians 5 and 13. Mm -hmm. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Yes, now this liberty means that they have been freed from the law, okay, freed from the Old Testament law, which is the law of sin and death. Please read. Mm -hmm. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, you're not free to just serve the flesh, not free to serve yourself as a physical fleshly human being instead of serving the spirit. Please read. But by love, serve one another. But this is what you do. You, by love, serve one another. Please read. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Yes. Even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All right. If, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, go ahead. You go to the 18th verse. You're already there. 18th verse. Yep. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the Old Testament law of carnal ordinances or commandments. Because 
the Holy Spirit in you makes that love such that you will not harm your brethren or uh, love worketh no ill, no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see what he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 or 1.5, I'm sorry. Excuse me, I'm sorry about that. 1 Timothy 1.5? Yes, please. Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and mm -hmm. a faith unfeigned. There you go, okay? All right, uh, go to 1 Peter 4.8. That's First Peter 4 and 8. Mm -hmm. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Now, charity is love mm -hmm. in action to care for someone. It's mm -hmm. caring love. So above all things, have mm -hmm. fervent charity or love among yourselves. For. Yes. Mm -hmm. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity, love, shall cover the multitude of sins. Okay. Uh, and there's other scriptures we could get. Let's see. Um, so go on back to First John, the third chapter, which you read at the beginning. Um, let's pick up a few verses there. Uh, 14 through the 18th verses, and then the 23rd through 24th verse. That's 1 John 3 and 14. Mm -hmm. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Right. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That's because he's a sinner. Okay. You've got to do what Yahshua commands. His commandment is to love one another as he loved us. Okay. He that does not love his brother is disobeying tra or transgressing Yahshua's commandment or law. And therefore he abides in death because the wages of sin is death. Go ahead and read, please. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Mm -hmm. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Right. Hereby perceive we the Savior's love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay, and that's, you see, that's just exactly what Yahshua had told John back there. We already read it about it, and John uh, mentioned it in John the 13th chapter uh, and John the 15th chapter. All right, continue, please. But whoso hath this world's goods, mm -hmm. and seeth his brother have need, Mm -hmm. And shut it up his bowels of compassion from him. Mm -hmm. How dwelleth the love of Yahweh in him? So in other words, really, if you love someone and you see that they need food and shelter and the basic needs of life and you've got it and you don't care enough about them to help them with it, how, how is that love? Go ahead and read. 18th verse. Mm -hmm. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Yep. Let's not just talk about it. It's mm -hmm. not just words. It's not just flapping our gums or tongue. Right. It's 
in deeds, it's in action, in other right. words, right. and in truth. All right. right, go to the 23rd, 24th verse, please. 23rd verse, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Yahshua, the Messiah. Now, then John focuses on, first, on belief, okay, which I, I could get into, I don't want to take too much more time but remember i said in the beginning that it is to know him to believe him and to love him know believe love they all go together love ends up being the result of believing and believing be ends up being the result of knowing you can't believe in Yahshua as he really is unless you know how Yahshua really is. Otherwise, what you believe in is a false image of Yahshua. Jesus is a false image of Yahshua. You can believe in Jesus all you want. That's not the same as believing in Yahshua because that's a false image of Yahshua. And the very things about this Jesus concept that you have in your mind, that Jesus image that you have in your mind, some of those things are directly contrary to the nature of Yahshua as he really is. So you have to know how he is in reality. Doesn't mean you have to know everything about him, but you do have to know him. And, the, and then what you believe is you believe on him that you know. In other words, you trust in him. You accept that he is the savior and the king of kings. Okay. And then you, you trust in him for all. And as a result of this, you know him. And when you know him, then you will act in that knowledge and in that love. Um, uh, there's another scripture here in First John. I'll, I think I can find it for you in a minute. But let's finish up this um, uh, next verses or two through the 24th verse. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Yahshua, the Messiah, and love one another as he gave us a commandment. Right. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Mm -hmm. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Right. And um, there's another scripture in there. I think it's in the fourth chapter. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, Try the 19th verse. First John 4 and 19. Mm -hmm. We love him because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. If a man say, I love Yahweh and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Right. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love Yahweh whom he hath not seen? There you go. Okay, so we love him because he first loved us. The truth of the matter is we have to experience the love of Yahshua in order to have love because that love that he wants us to have is really his love. It's the same love as he has. Love one another, he says, as I have loved you. And, uh, you know, 
when you experience this love of Yahshua, one of the things that happens is that you are relieved and freed from the guilt and the condemnation that the world and your own uh, thoughts and ideas even put upon you um, because you know that Yahshua is re taking the responsibility for you um, because and, and that relief that love that you're experiencing from him it, it all it does is um, what's the word it inspires love in return and so we love him because he first loved us okay and he gave himself for us all right now there's a number of other scriptures that we could go into pertaining to this but i think that is um sufficient to get this one particular aspect of Yahshua across his love under the New Testament, um, and that that is what he requires, and not loving him and not loving the brethren would be transgressing the commandment or sinning. And if it's his spirit that's in us, then that love is automatically there because we've experienced it from him. It's embedded in us. It is in our own nature at that point. So it's not something we're trying to force or add on. It's just the way it really is. It's being real. And that's what the New Testament is all about, is the Holy Spirit written in our heart or mind. Um, so, you know, I can go further on this, but I, I can also leave it there. I don't know exactly what time it is, but I don't want to take necessarily the whole class here. <laughs> I think I'm uh, probably taking a, a period of time here. You have, you can feel free to go if you, you can keep going. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, okay. In that situation, in, in that case, let me address something else about sin, okay? Um, you know, first of all, let me say just real briefly, uh, without trying to go into all the background, there's always been sin that is not forgivable and sin that is forgivable. That was the way it was under the Old Testament. When there was sin that was forgivable, it was called sin through ignorance. Um, that doesn't mean that a person was doing something and they had no idea that they were doing it, like they were sleepwalking. That's not what that means. But sin through ignorance was contrasted with sin that was called presumptuous. And, and, and I want to mention this because it, it's really important. And part of the reason is because when we read certain words in the Bible, we, we really need to understand that the meaning of the words that were translated 400 and some years ago, 400 years ago, by 
the King James translators in Old England, the meaning of those words as they were used at that time, in many cases is quite different than the meaning of the same words that we have now. I mean, I'm old enough to have seen the usage and meaning of words be changed a lot during my lifetime, uh, such that the original dictionary definition of a word now is very different than the meaning of words as they're used today. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, some people talk about the word good and bad, and that's a word that's, you know, important with respect to the Bible. Okay. Well, you know how it's gotten to be very popular to say he's a bad man. Okay. Or, and they do something that was bad. <laughs> and what everybody means by that is that that was good or that was in some way great it was a it, it was a it seemed positive okay but they're using the word bad to mean good it's exactly the opposite of the original dictionary definition or meaning of the word it's what we call colloquial usage then which was slang at one time becoming so popular or so frequently used in in a new way that the new meaning of the word in some cases can end up meaning exactly the opposite of what the word originally meant okay and you know when i and i, I struggle i try to explain things uh, in a way that is abundantly clear sometimes it's hard for me to do that and I because I kind of stumble over certain words because I am trying to get the meaning of those things in a way that really won't be misunderstood it may not sound you know easy and may not flow but I'm doing the best that Yahweh gives me to make things as clear as possible partly because I understand that you can read the Bible and you can know every single word that's in there and you may not understand anything. You can know all the words. That doesn't mean you understand. And, 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 and so this thing about sin is very fundamental and there's many things not generally understood uh, the people on this call may already understand all of this, but in general, the world does not understand these things. And so sin through ignorance didn't mean that they were unaware of what they were doing. They weren't ignorant of what they were doing. Okay. And that is contrasted with sin through presumption or presumptuous sin. Now, the word presumptuous, unfortunately, some people think that the word presume is the same as to assume, and it, they do not mean the same thing at all. To be presumptuous is to be rebellious, okay? To do something with an attitude of defiance. So, presumptuous sin was 
sin or transgression of Yahweh's commandment that was not just done out of an emotional uh, outburst, a one-time thing. It was defiance of Yahweh, his law, his uh, law enforcers like the priests. And that was called presumptuous sin. That was not forgivable because by being presumptuous and defiant or rebellious against Yahweh's commandments, they were actually rejecting Yahweh's right to rule, which also means that they rejected automatically, rejected Yahweh's right to forgive. If he doesn't have the right to condemn, to rule and condemn, he doesn't have the right to forgive. And so defiant, presumptuous, rebellious sin was not forgivable. Now, we'll come up to Yahshua's day and the fulfillment of that. And then I want to talk about what that means today, okay, briefly. Uh, if you would please go to Matthew, the 12th chapter, and the 31st and 32nd verse. That's Matthew. I'm sorry, that's Matthew 13 and... 12, I believe. Matthew, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 12 or Matthew 13 and 12? I think it's Matthew 12, 31 through 32. Okay, that's Matthew 12, 31. Mm -hmm. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto man. Mm -hmm. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, mm -hmm. it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this age, neither in the ages to come. Okay, now let's look at that a little bit. First of all, he starts out by saying, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto them. Then he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Now, here's the question. Who's the Son of Man? Yahshua referred to himself many, 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 many times as the Son of Man. Right. But the expression son of man can include other people in addition to Yahshua. So the, the expression son of man is not specific. It doesn't exclusively identify Yahshua or it doesn't identify Yahshua to the exclusion of everyone else. Okay, so whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Not in the age that Yahshua said that, which was the uh, uh, third age of time, the post-Diluvian age, uh, neither in the age to come, which is the fourth age, which is the present 
kingdom age. Okay, so present kingdom age starts with the New Testament. Yahshua was speaking this under the Old Testament. And so he's saying this would apply under the Old Testament. It would apply under the New Testament. Whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven them, neither in under the Old Testament, neither in that age that he was speaking it, nor would it be forgiven in this present kingdom age. But you can speak against the Son of Man, and it's possible to forgive. What is an example of this? Okay, would you go to Luke um, 23, um, 33 and 34? That's Luke 23, 33 through 34. Mm -hmm. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Mm -hmm. Then said Yahshua, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Okay. Now, Yahshua said, now they, they crucified him. And you find out that when he was crucified, people just spoke terrible about him. They blasphemed him to his face on the cross. Oh, if you be the son of Yahweh, come on down from that cross. Oh, he saved others and let him save himself. And these people that crucified him, uh, Yahshua said, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. Now, clearly, those people understood that they were nailing him to the cross, that they were crucifying him. They did know that. So, but he's saying they don't know what they do, meaning that they did not realize that what they were doing was crucifying the one in the Bible that's called the King of Glory right. in the Old Testament. Right. And, and I could, you know, get scriptures connected with that. But they didn't realize who Yahshua was. They didn't realize that he was really the Messiah, the creator in a body, the King of Kings. They didn't realize who Yahshua was. They knew they were crucifying him, but they didn't really recognize and know who the, he was. They didn't believe, they didn't realize. Therefore, their sin was forgivable because it was sin through ignorance. That made it possible to forgive them. Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. But now, go on to, uh, let's see. Go to Hebrews, if you would. Uh, I, I think I just want to go to the 10th chapter, 26 verse. There's okay. another one in Hebrews that's important too, but I'll, maybe if we have time, I'll get to that. That's Hebrews 10, 26. Mm -hmm. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. All right. Sinning willfully, by the way, is not sinning willingly. 
there is a difference between something that's willful and willing. And that mistake is sometimes made uh, regrettably. I've heard it made many times in class when they talked about Adam. Okay. Um, some people say, uh, and they don't mean harm, but I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to be clear about the meaning of words. Sometimes people say, well, Adam sinned uh, willfully to, uh, as far as um, uh, that he willfully took the sin of Eve upon himself. That's not true. That word willful should be willing. He willingly did it. In other words, he, he did it knowing that there would be consequences for it and accepting of the consequences. It was done willingly without fighting against it. Okay, But if we say he did it willfully, that means he did it in defiance. Okay, The word willful would be the same as being presumptuous. The word willing means that you ex that it's accepted. Okay, um, so if we sin willfully, in other words, defiantly, we defy Yahweh. Okay, we are presumptuous. We're rebellious. It is intentional rejection of what he wants. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, see, it's no longer sin through ignorance. You have the knowledge of the truth. You know what's right and what's wrong. Um, if they had known that Yahshua was the king of glory, it says they would not have crucified him, but they didn't know the truth. And he, so he says here in Hebrews, if we sin willfully, defiantly, after we know better, we know the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Why is that? Because it this willful sin is a rejection of Yahshua. It rejects him as the one that has the right to give the commandment. It rejects him as the right to condemn for disobeying his commandment. And it rejects him as the sacrifice for sins. It rejects him entirely in everything that he is. You're saying he don't have the right to condemn me, well, in that case, he doesn't have the right to forgive you either. And so it's a rejection of his forgiveness as well as his condemnation. So if we sin willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sin. And this gets back to the thing about um, uh, uh, speaking against the Son of Man as opposed to speaking against the Holy Spirit. Remember, speaking against the Son of Man is forgivable. Speaking against the Holy Spirit is not forgivable. Okay, And blaspheming against the Son of Man or against men is forgivable. But blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not forgivable. 
Why? Because when we're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, blaspheming, speaking against the Holy Spirit, it that implies, it means that we would be doing that with willful, presumptuous, rebellious, rebellious rejection of the Holy Spirit or of Yahshua. Okay? Um, and therefore, there's no sacrifice for sin. And there's another scripture. I might as well get mention this while we're here. Go to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Um, the uh, fourth and fifth verse. Hebrews six and four. Mm -hmm. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened mm -hmm. and have tasted of the heavenly gift Mm -hmm. and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and have tasted the good word of Yahweh mm -hmm. and the powers of the world to come, mm -hmm. if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, mm -hmm. seeing they crucified to themselves the son of Yahweh afresh and put him to an open shame. All right. In other words, it is basically blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay, but the, remember who this applies to. It's those that were once enlightened, those that tasted of the heavenly gift, and those that were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, the power of the age to come, and so forth. Okay. Therefore, it's willful rejection, and that means that they're just rejecting Messiah again uh, is like they would have to crucify him again because uh, they've rejected his, his sacrifice. So he'd have to be sacrificed again. But Yahshua is only sacrificed once for the sin of the world. Okay. Once in the end of the world, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay. Now, this brings up a point that I just kind of wanted to mention because this scripture in Hebrews 6 is sometimes thought by people to mean that somebody could actually have the Holy Spirit and sin. And so that scripture is sometimes used to actually contradict what you read back in 1 John, the third chapter, several times back there, that uh, he that uh, has the Holy Spirit cannot commit sin. And he, he basically says that in different ways several times back there in 1 John, okay? That uh, he, he cannot sin because his seed remains in him or the Holy Spirit remains in him. That kind of thing is said back there several times. So, I want you to understand what the difference is uh, uh, between what he's describing in Hebrews, the sixth chapter here, meaning being enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, being made partakers of the Holy Spirit and the powers of the age to come, they could fall away. Okay. And someone says, well, gee, you can't, according to, first, according to John, you can't sin. You can't fall away that way if you have received the Holy Spirit. And I say, that's absolutely right. You can't if you've received the Holy Spirit. What it doesn't say in Hebrews 6 is that they we were recipients of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, that they actually received the Holy Spirit as a gift. Now, I believe there's a lecture, I don't know where it is, where Dr. Kinley talked about this uh, in Hebrews 6, and he likened what we, Paul was talking about here to what happened with the 70 elders, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu back there on Mount Sinai. Um, and so if you go back there in Exodus 24, and I'm, we don't have to read it for the sake of time. Um, well, actually, maybe it, it won't take much time. Go back to Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10. Most of us have read this a few thousand times, but um, it's worth reading. That's Exodus 24 and 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 other elders of Israel. And they saw Elohim of Israel. They saw the Elohim of Israel. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Okay, I'll get back to that. But notice that they saw him, they described him, so forth. But upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands. What that means is he did not impart into them the revelation or his Holy Spirit and an understanding. Now, I'll mention something that somebody brought up just yesterday. There are people that actually interpret that he did not lay his hands on them, meaning uh, they interpret that as meaning that he did not beat them up. You know, you say, you know, hey, you lay hands on somebody that's beating them up. Uh, and that's not at all what that means. When he talks about he did not lay his hands upon them, it means he did not impart his Holy Spirit with an understanding into them. Okay. Um, to show you that in the fulfillment real quick, if you go over to where Yahshua fulfills this event, it's at the transfiguration. And when uh, Peter, James, and John fall down in front of Yahshua transfigured. They are fulfilling um, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu back there um, um, on Mount Sinai. Peter is as Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu are as James and John. Okay. And so they fall down uh, in front of Yahshua over there in the fulfillment. That's like. Aaron, Adab, and Abayu, and the 70 elders falling away from their place on Mount Sinai. Because remember, Moses told them when he went up, he said, you wait here for us, or tarry ye here for us, until we return again unto you. But they did not wait. They fell away. And Dr. Kinley talks about that as a falling away as an apostasy, as an abandonment or desertion of their post, that they were told to stay there. And so 
he, he talks about that as falling away. Uh, uh, Peter, James, and or, yeah, Peter, James, and John, they fall down in front of Yahshua, and Yahshua is using them to fulfill the falling away of Aaronate Abibayu, the 70 elders, and so forth. But there's a difference. Over there in the fulfillment, it says Yahshua touched them and said, Arise. So that was showing that when he touched them or laid his hands upon them, that they would receive life for resurrection. And this was as a witness, a manifestation that he would do this for their soul in the spirit under the New Testament. And he was doing that in a vision with them in Matthew 17 to fulfill what was happening back there in Exodus 24, okay, where they fell away from their post there on uh, Mount Sinai, right? Um, anyway, go ahead and continue reading if you would. I probably got got ahead of the ex, uh, ahead of it in the explanation. Uh, just please read it again and go on through there. Excellent. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, what did you want, Doctor Wells? Uh, ninth and tenth verse. Okay, yes, Exodus 24, 9. Yeah. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. Mm -hmm. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. Mm -hmm. And as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. Mm -hmm. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Mm -hmm. Also, they saw Elohim. And did eat and drink. Also, they saw Elohim and they did eat and drink. Mm -hmm. Now, this eating and drinking uh, is, is the manifestation of the same principle as partaking of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they partook of the Holy Spirit, they were fed. Okay by the Holy Spirit, which was Yahweh Elohim Yahshua there at the transfiguration. But that doesn't mean they received the Holy Spirit as a gift. They, Yahshua didn't lay his hands on them and give them the revelation and understanding of himself with the Holy Spirit. So you can taste of the heavenly gift. You can partake of it you can eat that doesn't mean you have received the holy spirit as a gift and so that is why hebrews the sixth chapter fourth verse and fifth verse does not contradict first john over there where he says that he uh that he that has received the holy spirit cannot sin for his seed remains in him. Okay, so I hope that was I I hope that was clear. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, are we pretty close to the end of the time? Uh, yes, we have um, about eleven minutes left. Okay. Um, well, is there anything anybody would like to say or ask? I, I actually have a question, Doctor Wells. Go ahead, please. Um, so at the beginning, you were saying there were, uh, I'm trying to look at my notes here, two types of sin. You said the first is inherited from Adam. 
So I think you were explaining the second, but what is the second? The second would be sin from transgressing Yahweh's commandment um, and under the Old Testament to the Jews. So, and Yahshua took both of those away. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so the sin today is blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Well, the sin today would be not loving. Okay. And yes, one would can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and would only do that if they failed to love Yahshua and the brethren. They would not blaspheme the Holy Spirit if they did love the brethren and Yahshua. Mm -hmm. So the commandment today is the commandment that Yahshua gave, which we read about in John the 14th chapter, 13th chapter, 14th chapter, 15th chapter, where he says a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay. And he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So, so is that, that um, that's the unforgivable sin? No. And I, no. Okay, because I know no. I'm mixing it all up. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be unclear. No, either. you don't. You're not. What I'm saying is that any transgression of his commandment would be sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if you failed to love Yahshua and love one another as Yahshua did, you have sinned. Okay. But you can do that in ignorance and you can do that through presumption or defiance i'll give you a, i think probably a very clear example as far as i know all of us on this call have at one time not known yashua mm -hmm. at one time we didn't know him mm -hmm. therefore it was impossible for us to obey him and love him. We can't love him until he first loves us and we experience his love, recognize that love for him, not a false image of him, but for him as he really is. People may have had very sincere love of Jesus and love of mankind in general, <clears throat> but even that in itself, is not real obedience to Yahshua's commandment. It may indicate a very, very positive intent. And Yahshua can and has for many people overlooked our ignorance in those situations and uh, uh, judged according to the heart condition and, and, and forgiven. But technically speaking, all of us have sinned because we didn't know Yahshua to believe Yahshua as he really is and to love Yahshua. And therefore, it was impossible to love the brethren as Yahshua loved us. Mm -hmm. Okay, It was not possible for us to do it. Right. But we didn't do that in a defiant rebellious, hateful fashion. We okay. didn't do that because we hate Yahshua and we hate the brethren. That was not the attitude at all. Right. So that would be doing that kind of a transgression through ignorance. However, 
if a person knows that it's Yahshua that's doing something and just hates Yahshua for doing that and speaks against Yahshua and defies Yahshua, that would be then transgressing his commandment. But that would be done as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It, it does. That, that clears it up a lot. Thank one you. Is, one yeah. is done in ignorance. The other is done through presumption or mm -hmm. rebellion or defiance or hatred. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I have one more question if no one else has a question. I'll pause for a second. Okay, so going back to Hebrews 6 and 4, where it says, you know, it's impossible for them to, mm. that who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and they were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So you clear it up that it didn't mean they have the Holy Spirit. So what is the made partakers of? What is that? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> it would be uh, to actually receive knowledge from the Holy Spirit. You can receive knowledge without receiving a revelation or an understanding. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that always and this does happen. Okay. This does mm -hmm. happen with people, you mm -hmm. know, and it's, it's, it's regrettably very uh, self-deceiving in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. you know, people come into class and they're learning about Yahshua. Mm -hmm. And they get all kinds of knowledge about Yahshua. And instead of really being humbled by that and receiving the Holy Spirit as a gift, they get the big head. They exalt mm -hmm. themselves and they think that they're the stuff. And so they have received knowledge from the Holy Spirit, but they're using that in a way to serve self or some other person okay. rather than the Holy Spirit. Okay. I mean, I'm sure we've seen that <clears throat> and I could give you examples. You can think of examples of that that's happened in the school where people, many of them have been in the teaching for many, many years and get real knowledgeable. They can quote all kinds of scriptures and do all kinds of correlations. But in the end, their devotion and their love <clears throat> is for either themselves or another man, another person mm -hmm. to the rebellion of an exclusion of Yahshua. Right. They're, they're, they're won't even, won't even claim that Yahshua is the savior that they worship instead they're doing it and claiming it's this other man that's mm. doing it mm -hmm. okay. okay that's that's really helpful because it, it it i thought like you said i thought oh I, well if they had the holy spirit and then they fell away that means in this age it could be taken away so that makes more sense to me now good good yeah. wonderful thank you praise Joshua. absolutely We've got to be fairly close to the end of the session. Yeah, this, this yes, we have three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I don't have any more questions. Well, I hope this has been of some value. Um, if you have not really covered all these things in the past, I think you'll find that going back even and reviewing this might be very, very, very helpful. It I, I tried the best that Yahweh has shown me. I've really tried to show some specific things here. Um, you know, not just some uh, general correlations. I've tried to home in <clears throat> on some things that, <clears throat> excuse my voice, on some things that I, uh, that are very specific and should be very important for folks in this school that are knowledgeable, that understand uh, about Yahshua. But as with all of us, there are things to learn and learn better. Um, so I hope this was helpful in that respect. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Hallelujah. This brings an end to this afternoon's class. We would like to thank our speaker, Dr. Terry Welsh, for his discourse, our other visiting brethren, and all other participants for joining us this afternoon. We hope that everyone was edified and ask that you come back and study with us. We hold classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. and on Sundays from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. We will now have doxology taken from the last two verses in the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.